how often is your phone further than six feet away from you? So we're all addicted to our phones probably way too much. Um, and so having it suddenly taken away, it, this is their extension to their friends, to their life, to their happiness. And so in a lot of ways, their phone is their best friend. And so you're taking away their best friend from them. They're going to have a very serious reaction. It is their connection to everything. And so you want to have that conversation as to why and what works. It really does work and they need to be able to understand that. But that conversation, though, it will not help them when they're in the moment and you take it away. You need to kind of have the discussion, not when you're taking it away, but beforehand so that they understand. That. This is the Growing Up With Tech Show. I'm your host, Lowell Brown, and in each episode, we discuss topics related to the impact of technology on our kids as they grow up. When it comes to technology, there are so many ways it's a part of our everyday lives, from cybersecurity and social media to tech products and educational tools. Our kids have lots of exposure to tech. The challenge for us parents is in how we guide them as they experience, learn, and become creative with tech. We cover all that and more on the Growing Up With Tech Show. So once again, we have another episode of the Growing Up With Tech Show, and I'm very excited today to have Georgia Dow join me. Georgia is a registered psychotherapist, and I'm going to segue over to her to let her introduce herself because she's got so many amazing things going on, including a really amazing YouTube channel where she does these therapist react videos and they're totally awesome. And she's getting amazing amount of views on them. Um, so I urge you to check them out, but George, I'll turn things over to you. Thank you for joining us and Thank give you. a little intro. Yeah, sure. So I, um, for the past, oh, I don't know. I think it's like around 10 years. Like I've been actually, I started off in dealing with technology and worked for a tech site. Um, and we did podcasts and shows and reviewed things that are dealing with tech. Um, and so a lot of my my startup was on technology as I, I did psychology. And so most of my podcasts and things that I do are kind of the merging of technology and the psychology around them. And um, I am a psychotherapist that deals with like anxiety and depression and parenting during the daytime. And yes, now I'm doing a YouTube channel where I deal with actually mostly pop culture kind of things, not technology at all. Although I still do a tech and pop culture show with Renee Ritchie. And so we, I, we've, we've merged them into a mishmash where you never really know what you get. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun and a lot of different things going on. So that's, that's good as well. Um, so I wanted to touch upon virtual reality with you. I know that you're kind of big into VR yourself um, with your family and your kids. And as my kids were growing up, I have two kids, 14 and 12. And as they were growing up, I remember their first exposure to VR was actually at an auto show. And um, it was one of those things where you sit and, and they put a headset on and you can kind of get the experience of driving a car or, or virtual um, racetrack kind of thing. And I remember that they were always asking, you know, how old are the kids? And sometimes they would let them do it and sometimes they wouldn't. So can you talk about how does VR affect kids and why would, in some cases, that be an issue that parents should consider in terms of age of kids? Yeah, well, I think that um, for technology, um, no matter what technology it is, it's kind of uh, important to know how old your children are versus what they are consuming because we we deal a lot with what we eat 
um, and how that's important and try to eat healthy. But what you're consuming inside of your brain is just as important. And so I think that for tech, no matter what tech it is, you want to be able to know what your children are putting inside of their brain because once it's in there, they cannot get it out. And for some children, they may be more sensitive. Now, the difference between just watching something and being immersed in it, tech, virtual reality is really immersive. Our brain deals with a lot of sight, like it's huge. The part that deals with vision processing is huge compared to everything else, compared to scent, compared to um, hearing. Like there, It's just a really large part of the brain and what we see, we believe. And so for virtual reality, usually actually when they're the, like the places are actually letting children use the technology, it's more so that they don't want their tech to be broken. It's more <laughs> so for them than it is for your children. If they can sell something to you, they would sacrifice your kids to be able to sell it in most <laughs> cases. Your children are going to break their things that they're using and they don't want to have to go through that. That's usually the main course of action that they're okay. dealing with. Um, so I, I limit my children to how long what they're playing is more important to me and then how long that they're in VR okay. um, and what games they're playing on that. There's some games that are like it might not seem like that scary of a game if you're just looking at it on the screen, but being inside of the game, you really feel like you are there. If you've ever done, there's one called Witchy's Plank Experience yep. where you're walking over a plank. Like I have so many people that cannot do it. They know they're in my living room, but they cannot walk out onto this plank because you're 40 feet above. And right. your brain is just made to stop you. So if your children go through a very scary um, scene and your personality type of your child also really matters. There's some children that are more super feelers, they're more reactive. And so you might want to wait for longer if you have a child that is more absorbent to what's around them. And then there's some kids that are really analytical and calm, and these things don't really register inside their mind. Then it might be an earlier age where it doesn't matter what they play and it doesn't really affect them. They still sleep well, they still eat well. And so it's hard to give like a age or a limit because I think that that then takes out the personality type of the child. So I tried to keep my kids off of tech. I'm um, like, they got like three hours a day when they were teens. And now that they're like, you know, 16, 17, like they have to learn how to be able to use technology. And so um, for VR, I, we let them play and usually we're playing with them, but they could play their full three hours in VR because we knew what games they were playing and we knew what they were doing in the games. And the nice part of VR versus video games is that they're active. They're running around, they're moving, they're working on hand-eye coordination, they're right. being able to have to navigate things inside. And so it's actually a more active process than sitting and just using a controller. Yeah, that's one thing I've definitely, there There used to be before COVID, it, it, the, shut down the one that was nearest, but there was a, um, a VR place that I taken my kids to one of them actually had a birthday party there. And the amount of times like they loved going because they love being able to play different games, but they do get a workout. Like there's, there's a beat saber game that one of my kids oh, play yeah. and just even just waving his hands around. It's like they're sweat balls when they're done out of that. So oh, yeah. it, it's definitely, you know, that environment being in there, do you think it's more the physical activity or is it also the mental um, processes that you're going through that it's, also it's a little bit of both? Yeah. 
Yeah. Like if you've ever felt it, like you're really having to think and navigate and there's more stress. So mm -hmm. because you're in there, it's more immersive. And so I have a higher and I'm more of a, a feeler. So I have a much higher um, stress response inside. I'm really much more frightened. Like there's a, a lower threshold of scary game that I can play in VR versus outside of VR. I can play moderately mildly scary game outside <laughs> of VR and I can play like some games that people are like why are you even scared of this I'm like I can't can't do it. I'm not going in that room I'm just not not going in that room because of that immersion and so because of that your stress hormones may be higher and when your stress hormones are higher you're burning calories faster you're feeling it and that movement because you you believe you're there you really don't want to get hit or miss out or you know have those zombies attack you it's so you end up with a little bit more of that emotional cost and also the physical cost as well. Yeah. When you, in your setup that you have, um, I've seen where some, some VR sets, you know, someone's got a VR set on and you can't see what the other person's doing. Whereas in these gaming environments, um, where I took my kids, there was always, you know, the kids in a booth, they're in a 10 by 10 booth. So they can't kind of They'll hit the wall every once in a while, but hopefully right, not right, break right, anything, yeah. but you yeah. could see the screen. So it's always funny watching people interact when they're in that environment. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, videos on YouTube of, you know, someone doing Richie's plank and trying to walk and then suddenly jumping on a coffee table or jumping and hitting their TV or something like that. So do you, you know, how, how does that even though someone's in that environment, they know they're in a 10 by 10 box and they can't move yet. You, you get so immersed in it that you don't realize, Oh crap, I really don't have to jump or I don't have to, you know, it's not real, but you get absorbed into it. So is it the brain tricking you or is it just that you lose sense of, Oh yeah, I'm in a room. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because, um, humans we again other animals take out a lot of information from different sense organs but for us it is almost mostly visual and so what we see we really do believe and it's so strong for us that we are our, our minds will even complete a picture even though the completion of the picture isn't even there like i remember playing a game where um, we're in a campsite and you know those old popcorn little makers that you shake yep. over the fire and it's like the jiffy pop and it like pops up yep. like I actually smelt popcorn and I had to ask is someone wow. cooking popcorn in the house I 100% smelt popcorn and no no one was <laughs> was cooking popcorn in the house but I really felt it or if I see something like that not not wanting to trip or fall down like i remember like walking over things rubble that's in the on the ground in front of me even though it's not there and it's it's just kind of this cool thing that our our ocular co cortex our, our our occipital cortex the part that deals with vision really does like feed all of the other parts of our brain this information that you're there like like you play this game where you're in this beautiful fantasy world and you're this like warrior, right? And then after you like take off your headset and you look at your like boring walls and you're like, oh, <laughs> we'll yeah, back in. <laughs> this isn't actually, yeah, exactly. This isn't actually the world that I'm in. And so you can really feel like you're immersed in that. And so because of that, you would want to be a little bit more careful about what are you immersing in your children's mind because it 
really feels like you are there. And so content that you wouldn't feel comfortable, luckily now the game, similar to movies, will tell you what kind of content is in the game. But anything that you would not want your child to, that they're very sensitive to, you would, you know, want to watch out for beforehand. And I think that everyone that has VR should kind of have the screen so you can kind of take a look and see how your children react or how, you know, you and your friends react to what's happening around them. Because one is it's more entertaining and two, you should know what your children are consuming. Yeah, that's great points. The the What you spoke about in terms of being immersed for so long and and the impact that your your brain can play and all that. When we're dealing with kids that are, let's say, you know, between the ages of 10 to 16, as an example, because of all of that immersive activity, do you think that there's kind of a time limit that parents should target with their kids? Is there too long of a time that maybe, you know, I wouldn't say bad, but, it, it, you know, is there a sweet spot in there that people should pay attention to? So the studies are are still out on the amount of time that your children should be using technology at all. And I think that you need to monitor where your kids are. For me, we we took to the time of like three hours a day during the weekends um, for a lot of the time during their development. And before that, it was kind of less. Um, so, you know, and that was tech. They could choose to use it whichever way they wanted. If they wanted to use it in VR, if they wanted to use it regular gaming, um, things like if they were coding or doing other things or making movies, that was not counted in this time. Right. Um, well, the reason, the main reason for it was not actually that I was worried about them. Like, so the problems with technology, VR, or just gaming is that it's that immediate feedback. You press a button and then you get an immediate reward. And so children that are more, um, reactive to that, they get more antagonized or aggressive or upset. That's not great for them. Kids that need to learn to delay gratification, you want them to practice things that they have to wait for. And so they can get a little bit more aggressive or upset. And so three hours during the weekend seemed like a fair amount of time. And it's, again, you would have to see where your kids react to that if they are really, really aggressive and wired after they're on and for how long that they're they're dealing with that. And then either you could choose to add if that works for you. Like we we had like TV that we watched together as something that's supplemental. Or if we watched a movie or if we played a game together, we didn't count that towards the time because it was also family time and we all kind of enjoyed that and we can kind of monitor and see where we're at with it. Um, the, the main issue for a long time of gaming is, so one, it's that immediate feedback. And then the second part is that they're not doing something else. And that was a bother for us because we wanted our kids to be able to look at other people and be able to react to body reactions. So the problem with being in a screen is that even in a, a video game, you're not getting that proper feedback. Even games that have like, like they can kind of model a face, it's not right. And so because of that, <laughs> right. they're not learning all of that body language that you want your kids to be able to go join a workforce and be able to interact with other people and not feel an anxiety for that. So you want them to gain per people skills. You want them to gain being able to delay gratification, to be able to be polite, to deal with stresses. And so if you're letting, like for most kids, they'll choose to be on technology over almost anything else. And yeah. so giving them technology, you're taking away all of that learning that they kind of need to have to be successful in the world. And, you know, coding and other sk their skills that are there, but gaming is really just a feedback loop to your dopamine system, which also then can create an addiction. And so 
For me, I chose about three hours. Some people that do it during the week, it's like one hour during the weekdays. Um, and then, you know, during the weekends, they give them more time. But I always say, like, start with a time that seems fair to you and then cusp or, you know, wax or wane, depending, add or, or reduce, depending on how you see your children react. And if they're, you know, not doing anything else, if they're going through massive amounts of withdrawal, they're really, really aggressive. You might need to change that. Okay. And as this technology, VR, is evolving, there's more and more talk, especially in the last year or so, about the future of these huge immersive environments. Um, and, you know, there's there's been movies in the past, like Ready Player One and things like that, that have touched on, you know, an, an alter reality. Um, and I remember things like Second Life that were this, you know, not VR, but they were based on a fake life that you had, right? So I think the future now is building to having a second life in VR. How do you think that's going to affect our kids in the future with companies that are, um, you know, focusing so heavily on this new reality of an experience for people? How do you think that's going to affect socialization, um, even vision, <laughs> things like that, all that time they're going to have in front of the screen. Um, what are your feelings on that? So I think that there's the good and the bad of it, right? I think that there's some really cool experiences that you can go through, which could help you build empathy and care and, and understanding where you might not have been able to really do that. Um, if you end up going on the first um, mission to the moon, like you can really understand the gravity, um, what they had to go through and increase your levels of empathy in that in that area. Um, I did the video game Senua Sacrifice uh, Hellblade in VR, where you could actually hear the voices that she heard and you could really empathize better with, you know, having someone that's dealing with voices. And so there are some good things with being able to be in an immersive experience. If you want to go to, say, Louvre, you can actually go to Louvre. You could learn about something. If you want to become a brain surgeon, you can actually experience what it's like to be a brain surgeon in VR. And so I think that in some ways, it's kind of really cool for people that might um, be disabled, might be bedridden, might be sick, they can still interact and be able, be able to fly, be able to deal with things. And so in that way, it kind of normalizes and helps build empathy. On the darker side of it is that, like, even now with gaming, the reason that it's so addictive is that, why would I want to be like a regular person in real life when I can be a god in a game? Right. Like, no, nah, I'd rather <laughs> be a god, right? Like, that's yeah. just so much better, right? Like I'm throwing Thor's hammer at like zombies and the hammer comes back. Like I feel it. Like that is so much more cool than who I am in real life. Right. So I fully understand that want to stay there. And that's the addictive property and the fact that um, already video games and like big companies like Facebook and Google, they're there to mine your information. And do you really want them to farm off of your children where they can track one, what your room looks like with, again, depending That's on if you're true. using Oculus versus that they, they know where your game is. And when it becomes AR, they'll even know what you're looking at and for how long and the That's things that you purchase and the things that you don't. And so you end up having not just you, but your children being data farmed. And I think that that becomes like who, who owns what you have and what can they use with it? We need to kind of have better regulations to be able to protect, especially our children. And so 
I think that it is going it is going to be the future. And I think AR more even more so than VR, because like if you could be the Terminator and have all that data in front of your eyes, that would be sick. Cool. I'm not gonna lie. Like <laughs> it would be so yeah. cool, right? Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of information. And that constant amount of information can be really stressful. And I think that it becomes also this I'm missing out and will feel not okay without having our chip that's kind of attached to our which let's say <laughs> who knows like, it could be a chip <laughs> it it will one day be a chip. it's not even a maybe right technology has gone yeah. from being far away outside of us to getting closer and closer to who we are right from our big huge honking computers to laptops that we could carry around to us till phones that we keep in our pocket to watches that we have on our wrist yeah. almost all the time to glasses that we wear on our head and yeah, eventually it will be like a chip. It's not even a maybe, right? Because that is so much easier. And like, who doesn't want superpowers, right? Like this is kind of, right? The have and the have nots. The people that have information yeah. at a heartbeat in front of them, which makes you feel like you're not missing out, but is very, very addictive. And then, you know, it becomes a Black Mirror episode really quickly. <laughs> um, so it's it's one of these things that, like, I don't think the technology is good or bad. It's really the way that we use it. But the problem is, is that, you know, there's there's always nefarious um, people that are out there that might use it not. And so if I think that that's where, like, having a knowledge base on what this technology is and yeah. what the good and bad it is, is really important to it. And so I don't mind my children <clears throat> using VR. I don't mind them even going into virtual areas and dealing with it. Um, but I monitor it, like, right? Like I'm listening to hear what are they saying because some yeah. people are rude and how do they interact with that? And I don't want them to live in a pristine world. That's not the world that they're out there with. And this technology is here to stay, right? So they need to understand and they need to know how to navigate. And so I don't think that protecting them, stopping them from dealing with that is going to be really fair either. But there's definitely a balance and you need to kind of take a look at what works out also in your household. What are your thoughts of VR and AR and, you know, the metaverse? Kill me. Yeah. Well, I, I think VR is amazing in terms of um, the ability to kind of immerse yourself in that environment. I think that's really cool. And I, I hadn't um, thought about, you know, the educational side of things that you brought up, which is, which is, that is huge, right? The fact that someone can, you know, people are learning surgery by VR. People are learning mm -hmm. how to, or even what it's like to be in the life of somebody else, I guess, or a certain job. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. that kind of thing is, is really cool. Um, in terms of AR, I really like that. So being able to, and, you know, you could see the, the, you know, for me, I'm the type of person that I can see someone I'll, I'll remember their face, I'll forget their name. So I would love the day you. one I'm day <laughs> where yes. I could just be like, you know, tag. walking around. I'm like, yeah, a little name tag. Give me a little bio yeah. of them Bob. just in case I need Bob. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that How's would be- your child? Where was that trip? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that would be great, you know, walking around without having to look at your phone and have directions to something. Um, but mm -hmm. I think the, the the AR side of things, which, which is really cool as well, is going into that whole- educational side of things. Like imagine going to a museum where, you know, you, yes, you could do that in VR as well and explore and walk around, but in AR, when you're there and you physically see something, and then there's all these add-on things that you can get exposed to. I mean, that I think is really, really exciting. Um, what, what I'm 
concerned about in, in some cases are, yes, platforms like Meta, where you don't know what they're doing with the data or who they're giving it to, or even what they're collecting, because it's not always disclosed or they're not always you know, they're collecting even when they say they're not collecting kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's something that, that kids are dealing with now and they'll have to deal with more and more as they grow up. Um, and that's definitely something, you know, it's a whole new game, a whole new environment where you have to consider how you're going to protect yourself. And even, even now when my kids are going into certain, let's say uh, forums or, or game environments, are they using, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make sure they're not using you know too much information if any about who they are and what they're doing because you don't know you know who's collecting what and who's seeing stuff right yeah and and it's um also that um disconnecting from technology right like you get used to it um it's quite addictive right all technology it's made to be addictive they want us to spend as much time and they're all battling it out for you know our attention span right because our attention span can only really be spent on one thing at a time even if we're thinking we're parsing between two we really are a single parsing unit like we're on one or we're <laughs> on the other one our brain is not doing both you think yeah. you're doing both at the same time you're not <laughs> but you're not you're just doing both very poorly um but that disconnection and the anxiety levels that can build because you're spending so much time never decompressing. It's there feeding our dopamine system, but our dopamine system is, um, it's excitory. And so it's linked to also dealing with anxiety and it's linked to um, a feeling of depression when we're off of it. And so practicing also shutting down, I think that every family should make sure that they have off time for their kids to be able to decompress and know their children will not be happy. They won't want to do this, but they can't self-monitor. Let's be honest. How good are you at self-monitoring how long you are on tech? Yep. Now take a brain that has none of the, the prefrontal cortex or not fully developed the full pre, prefrontal cortex, which is that you know consequences to actions at around the age of 24 when it's fully cooked. Um, they can't, they can't monitor it. They, you have to make sure that you just give them enough to learn and then you help them be able to set also times where they don't have to be on it and that they can practice decompressing so that, cause like, that's a really important skill practicing being calm and doing other things that might right. be slower paced because most of the skills that they're going to need to be successful in life, they have to be able to deal with delaying gratification. They have to be able to deal with being bored and suffering. You touched on um, a, a great point, and that's a good segue to the next kind of topic that I wanted to, to hit on, which is tech addiction. So we've all seen it. Our kids get the devices, they grow up with them, whether we influence it or they get influenced themselves. But there's always a point when the kids don't want to turn off the devices. They don't want to have that time where there's no internet connection for them. Um how do you, how do you help kids? How do you recommend parents help kids cope with that when it is time to step away to either have those boundaries or to help them stay calm when, you know, something's taken away. And there are times where it's like, Hey, that might be the a device or a thing that is taken away when they're not being good. So it might be a punishment tool as well. And in those cases, you're not giving them that advanced warning to cope with having the withdrawal from the tech. 
Yeah, I think that one is having a really honest conversation with your kids as to why. Um, you know, they won't, in the moment, they won't, like, when you're doing it right now because you've taken it away from them, the amount, like, and kids can, especially how strongly they're addicted, and think about how strongly you are addicted. Like, most people that are watching this right now, your phone is probably within six feet of you. Like, probably. Like, I, I would be shocked for those that don't have their phone, unless they're watching this on the phone, of course. <laughs> but, like, even for those that are not, it's probably really, really close to you. And how often is your phone further than six feet away from you? So we're all addicted to our phones probably way too much. Um, and so having it suddenly taken away, it, this is their extension to their friends, to their life, to their happiness. And so in a lot of ways, their phone is their best friend. And so you're taking away their best friend from them. They're going to have a very serious reaction. It is their connection to everything. And so you want to have that conversation as to why and what works. It really does work and they need to be able to understand that. But that conversation, though, it will not help them when they're in the moment and you take it away. You need to kind of have the discussion, not when you're taking it away, but beforehand so that they understand that. And then practicing having downtime every day, if they have a certain period of time that they can have their technology, if children are really young they shouldn't be using technology that is not where you could see what they're doing on it i think that that's a really good thing to build healthy happy habits and that your kids are not going to be doing things that they shouldn't because once they see something they can't unsee it right so my 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 oldest is like now old enough that i'm like you know like there's stuff out there like you're going to search stuff but remember you can't unsee the things that are you yeah. there and i'm going to trust you and now you can you know take your computer and use it on your own because you're going to be going to college like you know i'm not going to be there you're not you physically there with them learn. anymore <laughs> no i i need you to understand and i need you to be able to self-monitor and i have to trust that i have given you the tools to be able to navigate that but before that no technology was used they don't charge their chargers are not in their room their chargers for their phones so that because like let's just be honest everyone's going to be sneaking in the middle of the night to use their tech if it's charging in their room they are sneaking in the middle of the night i don't don't even blame them don't even blame them wouldn't you do the same I'm sorry. Like, yeah. yeah. True. So no, it's, it shouldn't be charged in the phone. It should be put when it's nighttime, it should be put in a, you know, main place. And yes, your kids will be like, but I want to listen to music, but I listen to the, yeah, they all say My that. Alarm clock. It's not true. Cause if you get a, you get a, yeah, alarm clock or a home pot or something else, they'll be like, no, but I want, like, they'll give you another excuse cause they want their device. Right. Um, and so you want to be able to also um, have it so that you can kind of take a look and see what they're they're doing on their phone. The problem and on their computer, the problem is now that all of their schoolwork also they need to be able to have Internet access and deal with it, which we for the longest amount of time was kind of against the school, like forcing them to have a Google account because I'm like Google seriously, but <laughs> Google is the cheaper for school system. So I yeah. understand why and Chrome and I'm like, oh. Why did you? Anyways, but that's like a, a different discussion for a different time of what is right. the most secure browser for you and your children to be on. Um, and so we're kind of also our hands are a little bit forced to that. So monitoring it, taking a look at where it's at and seeing how long, how often and what the reaction of your children are when they're using their tech. I do feel like healthy habits of when you're eating, you're not on your technology. And that should be for everyone. I'm sorry. You cannot say to your, the best way to do this is by modeling good behavior. If you don't want your children to smoke, you smoking and saying, don't smoke. I'm sorry. That is ineffective as right. a tool to be able to change behavior. It would be you not smoking. 
right? And you being honest about, I'm trying to stop smoking because it's not healthy so that they understand and learn that. So that means that you shouldn't be on your technology while you're eating or if we're watching a movie together or if we're playing a board game either. And a lot of my my teens that I'm dealing with, their parents are also always on tech. It used to be the newspaper, right? Uh, Mom and dad are constantly reading the newspaper and they don't look up at me and they don't know that I'm there. Um, But we are now it's technology. The computer's open. They're answering their phone. Um, I don't have my phone ring, ding, biz, buzz, anything. And people be like, but it's really important. Like I deal with people that might maybe, um, you know, depressed or suicidal and it does not ring and buzz or beep and like turning all notifications off so that you are not going to be beholden to your phone, but your phone should be beholden to you is also good habits. And so you build those habits. It helps your child also understand to build good habits for themselves so that they don't become more addicted than they need to be. That when they have downtime, there's not suddenly a ringing, which let's just say it. A phone rings when you are eating, everyone gets a little bit of an anxiety spike from that. And so you're not really eating and it stops the entire conversation that you want to have with your children because it's over in a heartbeat, right? Like yeah. you'd be like, oh, this seems so like when their babies are like, this is going to take forever. And then suddenly, <laughs> boom, that's it. They're 18. They're, they're living their own life. Yeah. And that's it. So you want to be able to make sure that those moments are really fulfilling and you're spending time with them and connecting. And so you showing good habits. A lot of parents are like, how do I help my child? I'm like, well, how much are you on your phone? And everyone's like yeah. sheepishly like, oh, like. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a very good point. And I've seen that with my kids as they've grown up. And there are times that, yeah, you know, you get an, you get an urgent call or an urgent issue for work and you have to do something and the kids are waiting for you or, you know, just it's time to do something and, and they want your attention, but I'll be, you know, doing something. So I've, I've had that where I'm like consciously like, no, my phone's down. Like I'm here to do this unless it's something where they say like, Hey dad, film me doing this on my bike or something like that. Then it's like, okay, fine. Cause you know, we're there together kind of thing. Yeah. And Um, you're doing something for that, right? Like you're doing something for them that they want to be able to deal with and you're connecting and you know, you're sharing moments and you're making it enjoyable and fun. Um, but I, I think that breaking those habits, it's hard, like getting to that. But if you turn off, like if everyone tests out turning off all notifications, like all notifications, like my phone doesn't even ring, like it doesn't vibrate and it doesn't (laughs) ring nothing. Um, at first you will go through three days of intense feelings of withdrawal and missing out. Right. And then by day four, I have never yet had anyone turn them back on. Now I get little pop-ups. So if I'm on my phone, I will see that someone's calling or I'll see that someone's, um, but it being put down. So when I'm not using it, it's upside down. I don't even see the pop-up is like that lowering of anxiety is amazing and let's just say it our work is not probably paying us for overtime and in a lot of countries now they're making that illegal that you should not be called outside of hours unless you're being paid for it because you're not being paid for it like they shouldn't have complete access unless you're getting paid for complete access so if you're running a server and the server dies you have to know okay but that should be then something that goes into what you're being paid for Um, but no one has ever gone back to changing it. Like sometimes yeah. they'll add like, you know, whatever, a little pop-up or something else or a phone, like the ring for certain numbers, it'll ring through because it might be an emergency. Uh, but by day four, you will love me. By first three days, you will hate me. I've, I've struggled with it. I've, I've like started to turn some notifications off and then I'm like, wait, I'm noticing my, my, my watch is buzzing all the time. And then I'm like taking those yeah, away, but there's certain things you're like, watch too. Yeah. I gotta just 
check everyone's else. It's hard. It's definitely hard. And that, it's and that's really, where you really realize hard. like how hard, if it's hard for me to do it, yeah. it's understandable. It's hard for the kids to, to do it as well. Um, yeah. but that, that leads us well into, you know, when, when kids don't have their devices, when they are learning to let go of that, um, there's the anxiety while you're playing games and there's the anxiety when you're missing out on stuff. And there's also the anxiety when you're, you've, you know, that gratification of the social media platforms, when you've posted something and you're waiting or constantly checking to see who liked it, how many likes did I get? Did I get any comments? Those kinds of things. And, and more and more, I see with the different platforms that are that are there, that it, it's becoming, you know, there's certain kids that don't go on certain platforms and certain kids that are more likely to be on certain platforms. But there's still that tie to the gratification. Can we talk about why that is and how that can affect kids in their social uh, networks themselves? Yeah. So we are made to live in a tribe and uh, we needed the tribe to survive. So that act, that there's a part of our brain that actually needs affirmation from others. And that's for everyone, no matter what the age. But when you're going through that, I'm going to form another tribe that before preteen to teenage years, children's need flips from their affirmation from their parents to their affirmation from their peers. And now with social media, their peers become social media. And all of us who are on social media have felt that this is loved and this is not loved. And that high of getting all of that affirmation from a secondary source, whatever that might be, and that drop in affirmation when the next thing isn't doing as well, or that post isn't as liked, or, you know, that many people have not commented on it versus when it has. And what happens inside of our brain is that because it is actually innate to us to want to be liked and viewed positively by others, and there's a whole psychology to that, I'm not going to get into all the depths, and sometimes we can end up being counterversed and be counterculture, but Anyways, for most of us, it's that that feeding loop that we can become addicted to wanting to have the next thing give us that same amount of a high. And it is very similar to an addiction to anything else. But for social media, it's an affirmation to it feeds our ego of who am I as a person, because we believe that these Internet points that really don't count and don't benefit us at all or the tribe. Right at all they don't really matter but in our mind it's still primal and so to our mind it does matter and it used to be linked to our chance of survival the more you were liked by your tribe the more chance that you would be the one that survives in your tribe why person that's liked gets better food gets a better mate gets people to protect them has less of a chance of being thrown out like everything is better if you were liked by your tribe if you're the last person, the lowest on the totem pole in your tribe, you were the first person that was blamed. You make a mistake, they're coming after you. You're right. the one that's the scapegoat. You're the one that will be thrown out. You get the worst amount of food. You're getting into a fight. You're the one that no one sides with, right? Like right. everything is the worst. And interesting, it's the same thing in school situations. It's the same thing in a company. You want to be the highest in the pecking order. Everything suddenly becomes better for you. And so social media has become that tribe. 
and everyone is fighting to feed up to the top part of the tribe because everything is better. Now, again, unfortunately, though, social media is kind of like high school. So just because you're at the top of the tribe, then people will hate you because they're jealous and upset that you're at the top of the tribe also. Right. And because of the anonymous nature in social media, people can be horrifically cruel, like horrifically cruel. And Especially in those YouTube comments. Not... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and um, <laughs> I'm really, I have to say, I have to say. For, for um, being female and on the internet, I'm very lucky dealing with psychology. <laughs> Most of the people are very sensitive, but you get stuff where you're like, where are you even like, like why even do this? Right. But like when people are upset and frustrated and it's anonymous, right? Like they can get away with it. It's like when you yeah. drive in a car, people are terrible people. You get out of the car, some people are still terrible people, but often <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. I apologize. Like whenever I've actually confronted someone that said something horrific to me, I've Whenever someone's replied, it's always like, I'm so sorry. I just had a really rough day. I just lost my job. And I was just coming at someone. I didn't really even think of you as a person because you're just a floating head on a screen to people. And they don't really think that that could actually hurt that we actually have feelings, right? Um, and so adults have a better set of skills and tools to be able to navigate that. But for children, it can be devastating. And the amount of people that you know have a comment and it sticks inside of their head and it can change who they see themselves as. And right. it can become what their negative voice, that voice inside their head that saying something says to them, oh, I am stupid. Oh, I am ugly. Oh, I do have a, you know, huge mole or I am deformed in this way. And for children, they're much more easily imprintable. And because of that, that imprinting can be kind of hard set and get them stuck. And then social media is mostly a lie. Right. Like it's all mm -hmm. photoshopped, airbrushed, curated, Filtered, edited yeah. so that we we, you know, look and sound the best. And a lot of them isn't even true. Right. Like they, they weren't really in Aruba and they weren't really doing this. Like rarely does someone say, you know, yeah, I'm depressed and just eating, you know, a, a whole can of like whatever peanuts sitting watching shows as I cry. Right. A lot of it is this like I'm super achieving and doing all of these things and the channels that are most popular are these like super achievers that are probably burning themselves out, probably racked with anxiety, yep. trying to get the next hit video that they can. And no one sees that part of it. And so it's also a little bit of, um, or a lot of a lie that children are buying into. And because of that, then they don't feel like they're good enough because they're yep. comparing themselves to these super achievers that are curating and have probably a whole bunch of people behind them that are writing, editing, you know, taking a look at photoshopping, like, you know, so it's also this thing that you can never live up to. Yeah. It's like a snapshot. I, I think of them sometimes as, you know, people are not necessarily bragging, but you're getting a snapshot of someone's life. You're getting yeah. only pictures of what they're doing, where they're going, who they're with, but you don't see the other side of it. And oftentimes, yeah, there's, there's stuff going on that you never know about. I mean, and, and that's, that's fine. That's life. But a lot of people don't get that. And yeah, I think with kids, there's it, also the think. competition between them in terms of the social circles. And, mm -hmm. and that's something that sometimes concerns me where, you know, kids want what other kids are doing or want to, to fit in that group. So they want to emulate something that they're not kind of thing. And that I think can, can be the, you know, the negative side of, of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they can be really mean to each other. 
right? They can try to socially assassinate other kids on social media when they're upset or hurt. Um, and there's a lot of cyberbullying that happens and it's very, very common now. And because it is, it seems anonymous by nature that kids will do really horrible things and they don't, again, missing the part that deals with consequences to actions. They don't know how this can psychologically scar someone else that they're dealing with just because they're so upset and angry at the person in the moment. Yeah. And we talked about, um, you know, parents being involved and knowing what their kids are doing online, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure as a younger age, parents have more control over, you know, what's installed on certain devices, that kind of thing. But with a lot of these um, social media platforms, I know of people, other kids who have created these dummy accounts. They've got one that their parents know about. They've got another one that parents don't know about. So how does a parent navigate in that environment when there's a good chance that their kids are sharing stuff they don't see, they can't know about. Um, so how do they guide them in those situations? What do you recommend to parents? Well, the first thing is that you want to talk to your kids about, you know, how to use social media, what are the positives, what are the negatives that are, are out there. And again, if you're monitoring how much time and where they're using social media, so if they're only on their computer when they're in whatever, a public space, which is a good habit to start in your family up until they're, you know, wanting to have more independence, right? Like depending on your child, whatever, 14. So for other families, it could be 16. Like you want to kind of see how, what your comfort level is and what are the chances that your child will be doing things that they might not, you know, might not be the most healthy for them and kind of dealing with it. The second thing is you should, you know, talk to your kids and be able to watch and see and discuss what's happening with them. How are they feeling? How are they dealing with things? If they're not using their phone at night and they're not using their phone in a private space, um, there's less chance that they're going to be able to do things that are going to get them into a lot of trouble or be used against them. But I would tell your child, and I think that this is really um, important because, you know, I would tell your child that, listen, no matter what, if someone tries to blackmail you, if someone tries to use something against you, if you've posted a picture that you're not proud of and they say that if you do, you know, don't, you know, do A, B or C, I'm going to send right. it out to everyone, I will still back you up. I'm not going to be thrilled that you did it, but I will be there to be able to figure it out because you also don't want your child to end up being preyed upon by someone online because they can consequences to actions. And if you think about all of the dumb things we did before technology, like, <laughs> like, like, thank God there weren't YouTube, like, like people with cameras, like filming me as I did all kinds of stupidity when I was a child, like, right? Like we all do yeah. stuff. We're like, why did I even do that? I don't even know. <laughs> Thank God there isn't a video somewhere of me doing this, right? Where it could be used against you and blackmailed to it or just like an embarrassing moment where they're crying and one of their friends is going to use it against them. You want to yeah. be able to have that discussion because yes, you know, you don't want your child to do that, but you don't want them to feel like you're going to be so angry that they're scared to be able to tell you because you are their advocate. And so then at least they can come up to you and say, I did something stupid. This is what happened. What can we do about it? Or have, say, you know, go to a school counselor or go to something else. You want to give your child the tools to be able to survive the world. And the world now is a is filled with the Internet and technology, and they're not always going to make the most perfect of decisions. That's the part of growing up. And so at least if they know that if everything hits the fan, you will be there because that is your role as a parent, that they have a greater chance that they will come to you if 
you know, something bad happens, but you need to have that conversation. And then you need to put boundaries and consequences around so that you, you're kind of trying to give your child the scaffolding to grow as straight and tall as possible. There right. will be offshoot and branches that are not going the right way for every single parent and for every single child. But your job is to give them the scaffolding. And so that's why in our home, there was no using technology. They weren't even doing homework in their bedrooms. It was with us in a open space. So that one, I could check if they're mostly doing their homework and were my children always doing their homework? Of course not, which is <laughs> fine. But when I catch them, I tell them, no, go back to your homework. And if they get caught doing it, there's a consequence. That makes life really good. Cause let's just be honest. If there were no tickets and there were no bad repercussions for stopping at stop signs, I wouldn't be stopping at stop signs. I'd be driving through every right. stop sign. One is where I live. There's like 100,000 stop signs. Like, I don't know why. They just love stop signs where I live. But I would just be driving through because like, I can see there's no one there. Why am exactly. I allowed to stop here? <laughs> there's no one there. Right? Why? It's kind of ridiculous. What are we doing this for? Yeah. Right? It's a one-way street. There's not even any other areas where people could go. Why am I stopping here? Like, so I wouldn't be. So you want to understand that every single person would be doing the exact same thing. And your job is to help them give the scaffolding to grow up. So you putting boundaries and consequences for your child for the way that they use technology and understanding technology is actually good for them. And as they get older, you and show responsibility, you open that up to giving them more responsibility and more independence. Basically teaching them how to do it on their own. Exactly. Pretty much it. Exactly. And that means that you have to let go of the reins even though it is scary and yes, they will make mistakes. Yeah, they have to learn. Well, Georgia, this has been awesome. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time today. I know this is family day and, and you took some time away. Um, and this has been a great conversation. I hope we can do it again. Um, before we do close out, I just wanted to ask if there's any um, anything that you want to share with everybody where they can learn more about you or what you're doing, or if someone wants to reach out with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, if you want to reach out to me, actually, you can check me out on Twitter. It's Georgia underscore Dow um, or an email. If it's westmounttherapy.com um, or you can check out my YouTube channel. You just put down Georgia and Dow and you can take a look at my videos on psychology and my reaction videos to different TV shows and video games. Awesome. Thank you so much, Georgia. You're welcome. And that ends another episode of the Growing Up With Tech Show. I'm your host, Lowell Brown. And it was such a great episode today with George Dow, a really great conversation about VR, psychology of tech, how social media and other forms of technology affect our kids and, and their feelings. It was a, such a great episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And again, I'd love your support to help bring this podcast to more and more people just like you who have kids and who want to learn about the impact of technology on their day-to-day -day lives. So if you can, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a positive rating and review. It would really help us reach more people. And once again, that's it for this episode. We'll see you in the next one. Have a great day.